Welcome to Chandler United Methodist Church as we worship together online. We are in a series of sermons about finding God's way, mostly because we are very acquainted with our way, the way of the world. The, the message of our culture is you get what you deserve, and it is true often enough that we base our lives on it. We all know of times when hard work has paid off, and we are aware of times when good decisions have paid off. A, a commitment to healthy relationships has paid off. Good money management has paid off. And so we learn, we value managing our time, and we do our homework, and we study for tests, and we get the grades that we deserve. We watch people put their nose to the grindstone and work smart and work hard and earn the pay they deserve to provide the life they deserve. Deserve is important to us. We also watch the evening news or we read online about the dishonest, the deceptive, the greedy, the mean, getting caught and getting what they deserve. The moment you know a child is coming, your mind hearkens to all the times someone said to you, someday I hope you have a kid just like you. We're trying to remember what it was that inspired that person to say those words to us while hoping that we have grown up enough so as much of our behavior is not passes our habits, our patterns, whatever it was that was dysfunctional would not be passed on. Uh, we don't want to pass on our own stupidity. And the thought of getting what we deserve haunts us because it might just affect our kids. There are people around who will tell you that our relationship with God works around the word deserve, too. Say your prayers, be good enough, hold right belief, and God will give you what you deserve. God will love you, God will put you on easy street, and God will bless you with lots of money. Those things are not yours yet. If those things are not yours yet, that means that you do not have enough faith or you do not believe the right things or you've done something bad. In other words, you don't deserve good things yet. You are, in fact, getting what you deserve in this life. And there are also people who flip it around and say, well, <laughs> I have what I have because God wants me to have it. And for the most, po most part, uh, folks who talk this way have done very well in the world or inherited very well. It is their justification for amassing. They get what they deserve. A lot of our music is about getting what we deserve. Keith Urban sings, take your records, take your freedom, take your memories, I don't need them. Pink sings, guess what, I'm having more fun now that we're done. Beyonce 
says, in the box to the left, to the left, to the left, I can have another you by tomorrow, so don't you ever for a second get to thinking you're irreplaceable. Bieber croons, and when you told me that you hated my friends, the only problem was with you and not them. These are all songs about people getting what they deserved, dumped. But if we could pause for just a second, I think the whole truth of the matter around the word deserve is you don't always get what you deserve. Sometimes good intentions lead nowhere. Sometimes a good start peters out. Sometimes hard work just leads to more hard work. Sometimes dishonesty wins and the cheater gets the glory. Sometimes, even though it promised not to, greed pays itself first while cheating its employees. And sometimes, when someone does not say yes, particularly hiring managers, they will give you a reason like, you don't have enough experience, your, your degree is in the wrong field, your resume has a typo, when the real reason you were not hired, the real reason they did not say yes is, you're not from the right family, you're not from around here, your skin is not the right color, and they are afraid of change. Sometimes, even though you have made wise commitments and kept up your end of the deal, your partner has not. So sometimes your best is not good enough because the problem is not about your best. The problem is the other person in the relationship is degrading the relationship, doesn't value the relationship, is damaging the relationship. Sometimes your best isn't enough because the problem isn't solvable. The goal is not achievable. The issue is not resolvable. Sometimes another person seems to take aim at you, pick up the idea of improving you by criticizing you, helping you by crushing your spirit, telling you again, if you would just do better, then you would get what you deserve. I would then like you. Sometimes it doesn't matter what you do, because what is going on is not about you. Sometimes life just isn't fair, and you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Back in the Old Testament, chapter 20, in the book of Second Chronicles, tells the story of a good king. His name is Jehoshaphat. He's a good man. He, he takes care of his people. Good king. Tries to use his good relationships and his abilities to bless the people of his charge, of his nation. His family relationships were healthy. He was faithful in his worship of God. His relationship with other leaders in the world was honorable. Jehoshaphat was a good king. But there arose other nations who were acting like land pirates. The Edomites and the Muonites and the Moabites who would attack 
and invade and plunder and destroy and then move on. Word has come to Jehoshaphat in this text. Word has come that vast armies are coming from three different directions and they are targeting you. They're coming your way. And Jehoshaphat wonders, why me? And then he realizes that even if he can answer that question, it does not change his plight. Jehoshaphat and his people were very rightfully afraid. And they did what fear-filled people do. They called up the people who handle weapons. And they started running some intense training drills. And they put together a citizen corps to try to protect their city, their land, their people, their nation. They are good. And the people who handle weapons are very good. But there are three vast armies coming and that's not enough to quell. Jehoshaphat can do the math. And his fear is pretty strong. And it seems only a matter of time until death comes for all of them. Jehoshaphat starts doing the other thing that fear-filled people do. He prays desperately. Jehoshaphat cries out to God, Wait! Are you not God? God, we're powerless against this great multitude coming against us. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you, God. God answered, said, Jehoshaphat, do this. Tomorrow morning, you and your people go against them. This is where a lot of people stop reading this passage and say, well, we've got the weaponry and God said go. I'm going to say that we need to keep reading. We need to read the whole story here. We need to keep listening to God. This is what makes Jehoshaphat unique. This is what makes Jehoshaphat faithful. He listens until God finishes talking. The Lord continues, I know it feels insurmountable, but do not run away from this conflict. Stand still. Stand still and see the victory of your Lord on your behalf. Go out, you and your people, go out, for I am with you. God is saying, Jehoshaphat, this is not your battle to win or lose it is mine. I've been fighting human self-focus since Adam and Eve played the apple game. And I will be fighting human pride long after you are dead and buried. This is the battle of who is in charge. And the people coming against you, Jehoshaphat, those people think they are in charge. And they will go to great ends to accomplish that. Their assertion of power at any cost, bullying, invading, pillaging, destroying, says a lot more about them. Their insecurity, their anxiety, their lack of empathy, and their pride. 
declares that much more than it says anything about you. If you think this is your battle, Jehoshaphat, you will fight. And you then are no different than they are. Because you'll get stressed out over the outcome and you'll work yourself into a frazzle. You will not go my way. You'll trust your weaponry more than you trust me. You'll talk to your generals before you talk to me. You'll get caught in your own agenda, your own vision, and you will resolve it in ways that are not my ways. If you think this is your battle, Jehoshaphat, you will not win. You cannot win this battle. <laughs> Those are really hard words for me to hear because I feel like it is my battle. I work on my pride and my insecurities. I, I try to think myself smart, and I try to think smart thoughts, and I try to get around and conquer what's bugging me. I don't sleep very well thinking about getting what I want and strategizing about how to get ahead and how to win. I want to have the last word. I want to say something smart to put my enemies in their place. I worry about not being quick enough in my response. I worry about getting wiped out. I feel like it's my battle. And if you're like me, we need to hear these difficult words that God speaks to Jehoshaphat. God said, do not be dismayed at this great multitude coming against you. For the battle is not yours. It is mine. It is not your battle, Jehoshaphat. Is not this the battle of every generation? We, we are young and we are protected and our happiness is provided for us. And then we enter adulthood and the world is suddenly rising against us, looking to exploit us, looking to invade us and use us and pillage us. And that power comes at us from all directions, seeking to defeat us for its own purposes. It's not about us. We just happen to be the latest recipient of the attack. It's not your battle, but it is your turn to choose how you will handle the challenges coming against you. Will you let them run you? Will you let them dominate you? Will you let them define you? Will you react to what scares you like most of the world reacts to what scares it? Sharpen the arsenal? Get out the weaponry? Get better trained in some way that you've decided is going to defeat them and give you the win? then you become one of them. What if there was another way to respond when the force of the world is against you? What if I told you there is, and the way to handle it is to get on God's side in this battle? Not get God on your side. That's a whole lot of pride. Don't do that. 
not God on your side, but you on God's side. And, and we get that confused a lot. At first, we think it's our battle and making winning our goal. And so we get focused on the acquisition of resources and fighting back and instilling fear. And we run drills and we think about escalating retaliation and final words. Second, we think God is on our side, approving our thoughts, blessing our motives, underlining our beliefs. And so, what is this other way? Well, let's go back to the text. The people of Judah went out the next morning. They stood there at the wide end of the valley, waiting not doing anything, not saying anything, not moving or murmuring, not fretting or fraying. God told them to be still. They were still. God told them, wait on me, and they waited on the Lord. And standing there still and silent, the first thing they felt was the earth vibrating under their feet. The Ammonites were marching down one river valley that emptied into the other end of their valley. And the Moabites were marching down a second river valley that emptied into their valley. And the Edomites were marching down a third valley, a river valley that dumped into the other end of their big valley. The marching of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites announced that they were coming. And then the people of Israel standing at this end of the valley saw them come out of three valleys at the other end. Jehoshaphat said, what shall we do, God? Here come the armies. They're legion. Their voices roar. There are so many of them coming at us. And God said, Jehoshaphat, here's what you do. I want you to gather all of your strength. And Jehoshaphat cuts God off, says, okay, God, the folks with the weapons are primed. They've been in field training. They've been through intense drills. They're all very tough people. They're ready to go, God. We're trusting in you. And God says, uh-huh. You think that will solve your problems, do you? Jehoshaphat, listen to me. Jehoshaphat, more of the same is not going to solve this problem. You can make new battle plans. You can make the sword so sharp they split hairs. You can enlist and train and motivate your people. You can get your people so pumped up they have constant nosebleeds, but it still will be more of the same. You're trusting your weaponry and not me. And when you trust your weaponry, the battle never ends. What if I could show you a new way to do battle, Jehoshaphat? What if you did things my way, Jehoshaphat? Jehoshaphat says, uh, um, 
are the how are the people going to see that? Um, and then God cuts off Jehoshaphat, and God says, Jehoshaphat, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send out. I want you to send out the people who handle music. Jehoshaphat says, okay, God. What? God says, the ones that handle music to, to face your enemies, I want you to send out the choir. And Jehoshaphat says, the choir? Uh, they are not prepped for battle. Uh, God says, oh, but they are. Jehoshaphat said, okay, God, the people are, okay, God, choir, go, sing, choir, sing. And, and the choir was a little surprised. It all happened too fast for them to really be scared, to, to overthink it. And so the choir started walking, marching, as it were, out into the wide end of the valley toward their enemies, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Moonites. The choir led the way, walking toward the vast armies in front of them. And in the face of their destruction, the choir sang. In the face of the impossible, they sang God's song. Singing to keep from giving up. Singing to gain new perspective. Singing to keep centered on what God was saying to them. Singing to keep their mouths busy so they didn't say dumb stuff. Singing to keep from thinking that the fight was their own fight. And the armies at the other end of the valley came out of the fear valleys into the main valley. They didn't know about each other, and wouldn't you know it? As power always does, they started fighting amongst themselves. The Ammonites and the Moabites attacked the Edomites. Sing, choir, sing! <laughs> And then the Ammonites and the Moabites turned on each other and killed each other dead. And all of a sudden, standing behind the choir who continues to sing, all of a sudden it's just Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah standing there at the end of the valley blinking in the sunshine, trying to figure out what just happened here. And what just happened here was the way of God. I tell you this story today for two reasons. The first is if we listen to the Bible, the role of the church is to help us sort out life when things get rough. When our days are dominated by voices eager to tell us who we are and to tell us what we should do and to fill our heads full of voices and agendas and fears, we can no longer think clearly. And if we bring all of that here, 
among these people, our church, who have loved us through tough times, and, and we let them love us. Tell us again who we are. Tell us again whose we are. Braid us back together where we have frayed. Let them remind us, say again to us, words that help us know whose we are. Then we will, in the face of great forces, great armies that want to conquer, we will remember whose we are and whose voice we should listen to. This text tells us the measure of a great church is not its right belief, but its great people and how they care for each other, how they remember each other, how they remind each other, how they inspire each other. Don't get far from this church. There are very fine people in this church. And when you have forgotten who you are, these people will help you remember. The second reason I'm telling you this story is to tell you that what you sing matters. Singing is what you were created to do. Your soul, your spirit was created to sing the praises of God. When your life falls apart, sing. When you don't know what to say or what to do, sing. When you don't know who you are or whose you are, sing. Singing drives out nonsense. Singing clears out distracting voices. Our souls are whole when we sing. When we sing God's song, life makes sense. And when we're singing God's song, all that other stuff becomes unimportant. It no longer defines who we are and what we do, how we feel. It's, it is the strangest thing. It's very odd. All of those who came to that valley to fight their own battle, to assert their own power, ended up destroying each other and themselves. I will tell you, that is, in the long run of history, that is exactly what happens. Those who construct and fight their own battle for their own purposes end up destroying each other and themselves. That is not God's way. In fact, that's what Jesus tells his disciples in the garden when the religious leaders come to arrest him. Jesus says, put away your weapons. People who live by the sword die by the sword. Jehoshaphat and his people, the people of Judah, came to that valley trusting in the wisdom and the guidance and the words of God. They responded to vast armies in God's way, and they saw God's way win. And they did not lift a spear or a shield or a sword. They had no battle plan, no strategy for effective reinforcement. Just a song, God's song. And I tell you, all you have to do in the face of what overwhelms you is sing God's 
song. May the Spirit of God, whom we know through the person of Jesus, go before you to show you the way, behind you to push you forward when you are too scared to move, above you to watch over you, beside you to be sometimes the only friend you have in this world. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home.